On this episode of Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered, we talk about the lawsuits, the settlement with Remax and Anywhere, uh, rumors about Keller Williams. We talk about post-lawsuit, what this will look like. It's going to be an incredible show. Tune in. You talk about it privately. We talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome again to the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, James Dwiggins, along with my co-host, Keith Robinson, aka Crazy Uncle Keith. Yes, sir. Tell us about Ed Zorn, the uh, vice president and general counsel at CRMLS, largest MLS in the country. Yeah, Ed came on, who is a wealth of knowledge and opinion on this topic. We've talked a lot about where we are. Ed came and sat down with us to talk about where we could be headed. Uh, so we got to pick his brain on what some of the outcomes will be, how the business could look different, how MLSs could look different. The settlements. Uh, what this, what's will in them. or yep. will NAR not settle or settle? Uh, great conversation as we start to lean into what will happen on the other side of all of these lawsuits. It's Put it be in a, your ear, kiddos. It's going to be a great show. Yep. Ed, welcome to our show. We are super excited to have you here today. I'm going to just do real quick before Ed explains who he is and his background. I wanted to preface. Uh, Ed is, is one of the sources that I go to for information on these lawsuits. He's one of many, but definitely one of the smartest. Um, so you are all in for a treat today because uh, this man has been in the know on these cases. We're going to talk about that. Um, and with that, let's just give a quick background on who is Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us your background and and uh, in your position and all of that stuff. So. Right. Thanks. Well, appreciate the opportunity to, to join you guys and talk on uh, these types of subjects. Again, my name is Ed Zorn. I'm currently the vice president and general counsel for the California Regional Multiple Listing Service. We're the largest uh, MLS in the country with about 110,000 uh, subscribers. That's agent and brokers who use our service. Right. How many? For, for about eight and a half years. Um, in that role. Uh, very uh, excited to do that. It's been a very uh, fun job based on my background. I've been an attorney for 30 years. Uh, it's hard to say that sometimes. Um, <laughs> and I've been a realtor for 20. Uh, so my past, I have actually uh, operated both residential and commercial brokerage firms. I've also worked uh, as an attorney for brokers, local realtor associations, developers, as well as homeowners on the plaintiff side where I actually sued Realtors. Uh, for Don't say that publicly. I know. We'll mute that part. of my history. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've been, you've worn all hats, which makes you very unique, candidly, than a lot of other lawyers I've talked to where, you know, you, you obviously understand this business. You in it, you're in it, you still are. Um, and then you represent the largest MLS in the country. So you, you get to have unique access to a lot of conversations going on that a lot of, people don't. Um, I do. and you know, I think let's, let's, before we dive into it, cause we're still getting to know you a little bit, we have three questions we always ask our guests. Um, and it's just designed to take the lawyer hat off. So people don't think of you as the, <laughs> the lawyer, but who is the, my original question, who is Ed? So I'll ask the first Keith goes next after, if you were a superhero, who would it be? And why I'm ready for this one. It's going to be good. I can tell yeah, you. Yeah. Um, okay. That's a, the flying thing just seems off the charts. Cool. Um, lots of fun. And I feel like you could do more good with that particular set of powers 
um, without the negative sides of a lot of things. Uh, See, I thought I thought for sure you were going to go Thor because he's got a hammer, which is kind of like a gavel. Like a thing so, over the top shoulder. Yeah, there. like the thing yeah. over your shoulder. I thought you were going to go Thor, but Superman is pretty yeah. good. Hey, hey, Ed, what if you do you had think? A, if you had a picture of me with the hair, that would be a little bit of a challenge, right? Fair. I don't have the locks to pull Thor. Well, but Fair. This is, you know. It's just a make-believe the thing. New, yeah, the, it's the multiverse now. There's a there's a slightly receding Thor around there somewhere. Hey, Ed, who do you who do you think Keith's super superhero is? What do you think it is? Do <laughs> you, you get one guess and you get a hand over, over right my shoulder. left shoulder? Left shoulder. <laughs> yeah. the whole, I mean, there I, you go. I, I, I was actually going to go with the Hulk before I even noticed that. On yeah. The do you know why? Because he smashes shit all the time. So... <laughs> It's Literally. effective. Yeah. <laughs> it's an efficient way to solve problems. Okay, question number two. Favorite book or podcast this year and why? Um, I've actually read uh, Discrimination uh, Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. I consider him to be the best uh, philosopher of our era. Uh, he's getting into his early 90s now, but he, as a lawyer, I like him. Everything is very evidence-based. He's very articulate very wide range of uh, subjects that he covers uh, and very articulate and just calls it like it is and, and really enjoys data to drive his opinion. So Thomas Sowell is one of those guys that I love reading just about everything he writes. I've That's awesome. heard of him and listened to him, but I've never read any of his books. I'll add him to the stack. Okay. All right. Final question. Then we'll start diving into all of the fun topics. Um, uh, if you get a lunch with one person, current or historical, who would it be and why? So I would pick Antonia Scalia, but only if he invites his best friend, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, along. Oh, that and is so good. To talk to both of them together, complete uh. opposite ends of the political spectrum, completely uh, different worldviews, but absolutely love one another as best friends. Yeah, so that conversation, I think, would be quite enjoyable. That's a good answer. I don't think everybody understands that last part, and maybe maybe mm -hmm. people do, but most people don't. That two two people on the Supreme Court who absolutely have the most opposing points of view on the way the world should operate were best friends. Would go to the opera together and like vacation together during vacation the together. yeah, yeah. The like what the America opera. should be doing. Yeah. That's a mm -hmm. whole other pod, but like phew, right, that's yeah. a good one. That is, and that's leave it one. leave it leave it to the attorney to figure out how to get two people at lunch instead of just one. Like that was well played. We <laughs> that's, that's a good one all right one. all right let's dive in let's get into the meat of all this um we're not going to do an update uh we're not going to talk about the three different class action cases because you can go to keith what is it episode 20, 24 24 21 24. Episode, 24 24 okay so you can go to the episode to check that out the one keith and i did on sort of where things are um, a lot of what we talk about as i just disclosed ed is one of my go-to guys so you're hearing a lot of things that will come from him anyway but there's been a lot of stuff that's happened since. So mm -hmm. we've got Remax that has settled. The settlement agreement is now out. So we have the terms. We've got anywhere that is out. They filed in their statements. Uh, word on the street is Keller Williams maybe moving towards the settlement. At least that's the rumor mill that's that's happening. And NAR goes to trial next next, next week. Yeah, theoretically. Very close theoretically. Yeah, theoretically. <laughs> so all right. So just let's not frame up what the cases are because everybody sure. anybody on this podcast has heard about all this stuff. Yeah, go listen to 24 if you haven't. Yeah. So let's dive into what you know now and what you think is going to happen. Talk to sure. us about sort of what we learned from all of this stuff. Sure. I mean September uh and the beginning part of this just a couple days into October have been just crazy as far as things that have been happening. Um Starting, let's start with the Anywhere and Remax settlements. 
some of the things to keep in mind, those settlements were announced, you know, a bit of time ago, but we just got the filings on October 5th uh, were done at the court for preliminary approval. And how this works is to approve a settlement in a class action case, you submit the paperwork, the court does a preliminary approval and then sets hearing dates if there's a more major objections that are going to come from some of the other parties. So we're just kind of beginning that process. Uh, to me, nothing really surprising in the REMAX and anywhere settlements beyond what had already been, um, you know, listed in some of the media outlets. Uh, I think one of the things to point out is they did settle Morel, the larger class action 20 market case. Obviously, the one that's going to trial next week, the Sitzer Burnett case, and also NoSlec. That was also resolved in that same discussion. Without uh, people, them, people know that as MLS pin for getting it okay. just for so MLS, the yeah. MLS pin case. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it was It was all of those. What that tells us, and, and one of the other things in my background, I was a mediator and our arbitrator as well. Uh, what that tells us is there was a mediation and settlement discussions going on with all mm -hmm. of the plaintiffs in attendance. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because for, from the perspective of NAR, there's no way NAR is resolving these cases or settling these cases unless, unless it settles the cases across the whole country and it handles all of the cases together. Okay, let's and break that down. They were let's all break, together in the same room. Let's break that down. So they don't want to. You don't want to settle one. You want to get them all off the table so that you're not dealing with further litigation and potential other classes or other class litigation after. So can I explain right. that to everybody so they understand what that means? Sure. Mm -hmm. So when you, whenever you resolve a case and you pay some money or you agree to do something, you want that to end, <laughs> and you don't want any more exposure, liability, or effort to have to go into fighting. Right. That's the whole reason you settle, even if you don't think you did anything wrong. Right. People who, who don't necessarily do something wrong will sometimes still settle out of convenience. Mm -hmm. And in this case, uh, what we see from the filings is that the cases settled for the whole country. So in addition to the three cases we're talking about, there was an additional class that is being resolved. And that class is any seller in any MLS across the country that utilized any of these firms. Right. So. So the mediator and the plaintiffs that were involved in these conversations to reach these settlements were all together in the same room. Okay. And that's a really important thing for us to realize because that's really how you get these cases settled. Uh, and and for me together in one spot for your statute of limitation on these. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And that's why the, the term that talked about the class being expanded <clears throat> The, so rather than the, the settlement class, in a class action, there's a defined class, and the court sets that through a motion. And we've seen two motions already. One is Missouri. That's the one going to trial next week. Right. The other one is the Morrell case uh, with 20 separate markets, and they set the class up uh, as to those identified 20 markets. What they're requesting the court do in, by stipulation of the parties is to expand the class, make it bigger. So that it includes every seller in the in the United States from any MLS. So if you're not in one of the named MLSs, then it's any MLS, you know, within the last four years. Okay. So but but the big piece here that we really want to make sure our listeners know is the fact that they were all in the room before means they can all get in the room again and are willing to in order to facilitate settlement, correct? Correct. So for the parties that haven't settled yet. And I, I 
I emphasize the word yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a question. We've been right talking on. about this, so yeah. yeah. They're they're together. There's conversations going on, and they're structured in a way that that a deal can get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I want to make sure everybody understands this. When the class opens, and I'm going to use simple math here because I just I want to keep it simple for everybody. So there's there's a, a 55 million and 83 million and the numbers thrown in there. I'm just going to use simple math here. And there's 150 million dollars that's in this pot, whatever right. the number is. They're basically saying everybody in the U.S. can join who bought a house or sold a house, excuse me, in the past four years. So that money minus lawyers' fees, which then will be gets big. Which which will be big, but like then gets spread out amongst all of the people that joined the class. They'll get instead of I'm making up this number, but instead of it being a five hundred dollars, they're going to get twenty dollars. Right. So so instead of joining the class, it's actually flipped. Okay. Okay. And you, maybe you guys have all gotten this a little white card. Yeah. Just got one. Target yeah. or a Walmart or, yeah. or some phone company you dealt with, and. And what happens is everybody is in the class that sold a home in the last four years. Got it. And then you get the little white card if you want to opt out Out. of the class. And by opting out, what you're saying is, hey, I don't want to be part of this resolution. I want to go at it by myself. I want to go hire my own lawyer. I want to go run out and do the case by myself instead of, of settling for this the amount I might get as a class participant. Okay. And the reason why they wouldn't do that in theory is finding a lawyer to take it on after a settlement would be a risk, wouldn't it for the lawyer? Because there's no money left, right? Um, well, remember there's joint several liability. So right now the, the question becomes who are all the different defendants? That's a whole nother conversation, right? This right. is a settlement only with anywhere and Remax. Fair. If the whole case settles, then I Which think it will. What you, you expressed is accurate. Okay. Um, the other reason is really if you break the, the numbers down, realize the plaintiff's damages are probably only around 3000 bucks a house, right? Remember what they're claiming. It's a one to one and a half percent in damage claim. That's what the Morell experts identified was 1.5%. So let's say, you know, that's again, a plaintiff asking for a number. So mm-hmm. they rarely hit that. So let's call it a 1%. Right. Well, what's the typical home sale, you know, in 2019? Yeah, $300, $300, $270, yeah. something like that. You know, you take a 1% commission alleged uh, elevation and, you know, it's 2700 yeah. bucks. Yeah. So if you're yeah. a, a, I don't know what kind of lawyers you guys hire, <laughs> but yeah. to take a typical case all the way through trial is going to cost you a hundred grand. Right. Yeah. Right? Minimum. So is yeah. someone really going to go out and hire a lawyer for 50000 to to $100,000 so they can go get a check for 2700 yeah. so instead of whatever they get from this settlement class? You know, so thing? basically, this is a good lead in. So so with these with these companies, the settlement gets approved. And I'm going to make a comment here, pending the DOJ doesn't get involved, which we'll get to in a second. Um, they essentially are removing this potential future litigation for their members, the membership of Remax and anywhere and essentially the others when they settle, because we all think this is where this is going to go. So, all right. So that leads to, uh, I don't want to forget this. I want to talk, actually, let's just go into this. This thing is relevant. So the MLS pin had a proposed settlement, the no select, I keep saying the name wrong, no select, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, and the DOJ just came in and said, nah, we don't like it. 
Yeah, it's an, an interesting element because in the background of all these cases going on, we've been dealing really since two, 2018 is when the there was a joint conference between the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice. They brought a bunch of experts out. Art Carter, our, our CEO of CRMLS, you know, testified awesome. and, and spoke mm-hmm. at that conference. I was there personally. I spent about five hours on the phone with DOJ and FTC attorneys because shock of all shocks, they really didn't know how our industry worked and things, which no is normal, way. Right? They're doing all kinds <laughs> of different things. So they need to Never reach happened. out to industry yeah. experts to learn about what's really going on. Um, and, you know, it was a good conference. I think there's a lot learned uh, and, and it was it was well attended, well intentioned also. But immediately after that, you started having this situation where the Department of Justice and F, uh, Department of Justice specifically was negotiating with NAR on some criticisms and challenges on some rules um, that was resolved. If you recall, I believe in November of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, unbeknownst to most of us MLSs that the conversations were even going on. Um, that's a whole nother story. And then the DOJ. We had that little election in the middle. Remember that? Yeah. You might remember that November 20th. I do. Yeah, actually. The contested Uh, one, correct? And then what happened is when there was a change of administration, there was a lot of shakeup in the Department of Justice. There were the new people didn't like the deal. And in an unprecedented move, the DOJ backed out of the deal. And part of the deal was that the DOJ would no longer be investigating this commission rule and the clear cooperation policy were the two that they agreed to kind of resolve for some things that NAR did. And what's interesting is the things that NAR agreed to do and to change with really regarding transparency are all of the things that showed up in this Remax and Anywhere (laughs) settlement, right? right? It was don't represent your services as free. It is don't search or sort by commission amount, right? It is to tell your customers that uh, everything is negotiable and there's no set fee and you don't have to offer compensation, right? You, these are all things that were already part of that other deal, right? So yeah. none of those things are, are new, uh, you know, at all. But so clearly the DOJ has been involved and, and watching over our industry and they've had a bit of a change of heart, you know, in, in the beginning of 2021. And so what we saw was really, you know, as you well, well aware, Northwest MLS up in the Seattle area, did some rule changes because they're not affiliated with NAR. So they have the freedom to experiment and try something different. And in 2019, they removed the mandatory requirement for commission. So you could do zero since 2019. And what the data shows is nothing's changed, Hmm. right? A very tiny fraction of agents offered zero. um, And the vast majority were, were within a certain grouping of numbers that have been kind of more traditional. Now, how much and, of that is, how much of that is just institutional inertia, right? Um, people just keep doing what they're doing for the most part. Certainly, and, there's also an argument that that could also be a reflection of what the market actually is. Sure. Right. So, so the the powers that be can wish with all of their heart that you know commissions come down to a certain level or some arbitrary number that they picked out of their you know uh, themselves. Hat. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. Pat. Um, <laughs> I was going to uh, say a different three-letter word, but let's right. just stick with hat. Let's stick with hat. That so rhymes with bass. Out of their hat of what they think commission should be, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of time, energy, and effort of what it takes to do a deal. So, 
one thing that I would argue is, you know, or or is there a consolidation towards what the market rate really yeah. is? So that's a that's a debate that economists can have, and in fact, will have when these things go to trial. Your uh, opinion on the other side of this? Will there be downward pressure on commission? Uh, that's a bigger question. I think eventually, yes, yeah. yes, I do. I, I don't think though it'll come from all on the buy side at all, though. Well, I and think it'll be by the way, if you take a look at at average sales price and then mapped commissions um as an industry we've done pretty good <laughs> right like the average sales price has increased significantly faster than the average commission has eroded and even if it erodes a little bit we'll still like there's still a lot of opportunity to build uh an enduring successful business in residential real estate on the other side of this yeah and to oh, add keith, no to add keith on that if you look at real trends numbers the commission rates have actually in the u.s have been dropping for the past 20 years in fact we yeah. had a low it just just over 5.04 was the average this is their numbers to be clear but yep um i wanted to make a point here so let's take us back so the settlement the settlement proposal was submitted for no select and the doj just intervened they did. And what, how they intervened is they looked at what was happening in Northwest MLS with the changes that they They literally made. used the changes that Northwest MLS was using to stay out of litigation. They're hinting at it. Right? <laughs> what, what the, the DOJ, footnote was pretty clear, Ed. I mean, it was like... It was. But what the DOJ did is they basically said, we want more time, which I don't understand why you had two months figured out. Sure. But anyway, the court gave them two more months to pr procure and to develop some evidence and what the DOJ suggested was going to be that they have evidence to say that simply tweaking the rules and going to zero has no real effect. And further, you know, tweaking the rules, what they did in Northwest MLS is there's no offer from the listing broker. The offer comes from the seller instead. Uh, and I think the DOJ is looking at that. And I think they're conducting some analysis of, of that data to determine if that has had any change. I think what you're going to find is it won't that that if you have anything in the MLS, that's the criticism really that the DOJ has is, and kind of think about it this way, their perspective and the consumer advocates perspective is why is there an offer of compensation to the buy side in the multiple listing service? What's the purpose of it? So I'll ask you, you know, what's the purpose of, of an offer of compensation in, in the MLS? Why is it there? Are you asking me that question? Because I know you're that. leading me, counselor, right now. And yeah. I know the answer that what I'm going to give is going to lead you to your point. Of, Objection, leading question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the answer that a realtor is going to give you is, is that's going to help drive buyers to come. To, it's going to help basically bring somebody to show the property, which is the right. answer that you don't want to actually give publicly. No, but the other answer, too, is that that is how the system has worked. And that's how it was structured. So that's how I get paid. Also how right. the buyers can afford to be able to have representation. Correct. Right. So all of those answers are right, but what the DOJ and the consumer advocates are going to focus on is James's first answer, uh -huh. right. which is you're creating an incentive for the buyer's agent mm -hmm. to take the buyer where mm -hmm. if you, it's interesting. What's the incentive for, right? The idea here is if I'm the fiduciary as a buyer's agent, and it's my mm -hmm. job to take the buyer to the properties that that work for them, that they can afford, that are in the neighborhoods they want. I'm taking them to those properties. Why do I need to be incentivized? In fact, an argument's made that what the incentive is for is to take them to properties that benefit me as the buyer's agent rather than them as the buyer. Sure. sure. 
You're, and that's can the be... criticism of the, Makes sense. Of the issue. They're now, spinning I, it, but I hear yeah. you. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's also, but, I mean, it doesn't matter, but it's also in, in mass, it's not true, right? Like most well, agents aren't sorting by commission. They aren't. It, I, in the last in the last eight ten years, I agree with you wholeheartedly. In yeah. a seller's market, in a, a even just a slightly tipping seller's market, nobody is is steering by commission. Number one, you won't have a client, right? right? Because all of the all of your clients as a buyer's agent have access to every property that's available, yeah. or should right. be if people are yeah. properly right. following the rules. Um, and they're going to want to know, well, why can't I go see that beautiful yeah, What's house? the deal with one, two, three right. Elm street, right? Correct. Like, why can't yeah. I not go see that? Be right. So yeah. I agree with you, but I'm going to push back a little bit and suggest to you what happens when the market collapses. What if it's 2010, 2011, 2012, and there are literally 20 properties, all of which meet my client's preferences. Yeah. But in that and specific example, that, they'll get it. Uh, yeah. But in that specific example, that's not the case, right? Because most of those houses, if you use that time frame, were trash houses with cement in the pipes, and then there were a handful of pretty ones that that the clients attract were drawn towards and wanted to go see. Nope, they were there were in, in I worked Corona, the hotbed of this area, and mm -hmm. I guarantee you there were every time I had a buyer client, there were twenty properties that met their needs. So let me let me just because i i want to we have so many questions i want to ask and this seems like a whole debate we could do your your point i think you're alluding to is the fact that the the buyer essentially paying the buyer's agent then it doesn't really matter essentially right, right. you're yeah yeah so yeah. other than it other than it would crater the industry right other than your would, first time home buyer if the buyer the first time home buyer can't afford to pay their, their absolutely can't right. to be clear it's if the only you're saying if 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 it's only allowed that the buyer could pay the buyer's agent, mm -hmm. they would crater the industry. Mm -hmm. That's not how this will likely end up. We'll get to Correct. that in a second. But to be clear, I, I hear what you're saying. I want to ask this question because I think it's important. Is the DOJ going to intervene in these other two settlements now that they're public? No. You think they're just going to let these go through, even yep. though they're almost the same as the other ones? Like, Yep. The, 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 here's the difference. The, the MLS pin settlement modified a rule. Nothing in the rules are changed in the anywhere... Remax settlements, nothing because it was an MLS, not a franchisor. Correct. Interesting. Now, if NAR settles, and there is a part of that settlement, you know, when we get to a settlement of NAR, that settlement will include a changing of a rule. Do you think the question there will be for the DOJ what that rule is, and and that that's I think where the DOJ would interject. I know how you're going to answer this, but I don't think we've asked you in the pod. Do you will NAR settle? Yes or no? I believe NAR will settle. Yeah. Well, NAR, uh, I'm going to add to it. They're going to have to settle if copycat suits come out because if everybody starts getting sued, we're going to pressure the industry is going to pressure them for a, a national settlement, just like the just like Remax and anyone everybody else got. Because I can guarantee you, nobody has the kind of money to defend this stuff. Neither did anywhere or, or Remax for that matter. So, am I off? No, you're not. And, and I think NAR is willing to settle, right? I think it's just a function of can the people in that room come to the terms necessary, one, on the financial side, right? And and then also be able to cover and, and agree on what kind of rule would be acceptable. But I think to your point, James, the 
the DOJ has made very clear what kinds of rules will probably be acceptable and which ones would not. So, so if you're going to resolve it, you might as well settle it in a way that the DOJ is not going right, to right. mess with you. I have, a, well. I, I have a follow-up, and this is just me uh, not knowing, right? So I'll ask a question for the audience. If they don't settle before the trial starts, does that mean a settle becomes less likely once you go to trial settlement? No. But it, I, I think we're with where we are in the challenge that NAR has had leading up to the trial I don't think it's going to settle before the trial. Gotcha. I think the, your most likely time period for settlement is the 30 days right after the trial. Gotcha. Before so, you get to a bond hearing. What's a bond <laughs> hearing? Oh, God, here uh, we go. A bond hearing is the event that occurs uh, 30 days after you lose a case and you want to appeal and you want to go in and ask the judge, mm -hmm. please don't make me have to pay this judgment yet. Let me wait until my appeal is over. And what the judge has the duty to do is to protect the interests of the winning plaintiff mm -hmm. to make sure you don't just go take your money and spend it frivolously and it's all gone and the plaintiff never gets anything. So they establish a, an amount that you have to put up to the court so that the plaintiff doesn't go after all of your assets. And that's called, a, that'll be a bond hearing and that will be an important event. That will be very expensive. NAR will have to put up everything. It's building and blah, 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 and all of right. it, correct? Yeah, okay. Right. So you believe NAR settles. You think they'll settle, if I heard you correctly, you said within, not before the trial starts, but within 30 days of the trial starting or 30 after. days of, after? after. Three days after. And right. keep in mind, guys, this is me doing wild speculation. No, we get yeah, it, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, we're, we're just trying to frame it up. Yeah. We're just trying to frame it up. No, I'm the, the post is going to see the, it's going to literally of the podcast yeah. is, is Ed Zorn's perfect perfection of how this is going to <laughs> yes. actually. Ed Zorn insider information on exactly yeah. how yeah, it I have, I have no intel or info yeah. at all. Yep. Uh, no, the, but you've been pretty good at like, I'm, I'm going to give you credit or credits too. You've been calling things. And it's happened almost identical to the way that you've been saying it's, it's going to go. Um, this is important as I want to make sure that we're discussing this. NAR just changed its policy so that instead of, I keep hearing it's a dollar, a penny to zero, whatever, that basically from some, some amount of compensation to zero prior to the trial, lots of mixed opinions on that. Obviously, MLSs have been ignoring NAR's rules and doing it anyway like Bright. Does this have a material effect on the case? No, I don't think it does because functionally, what is the difference between $1 and zero? To me, this whole issue of, of mandatory compensation is a red herring. It's, it's a meaningless argument because the reality is you could always put in $1. And what does that mean to anybody? It's a, it's a meaningless number. It's a meaningless. It's so low. Yeah. It's so, so you close can always to zero. basically right. in essence offer nothing to the other side. That's always been on the table. It's always been allowed. The fact that NAR, NAR just mm -hmm. said, now you can put a zero in instead of a one. Yeah. It's big. Whoop. Who cares? Uh, it, it is. A, it's a very meaningless uh, modification. So follow-up question, uh, because I think this is important. Lots of people are making these comments that like, you know, it's going to be, I, and for clarity, I'm going to use the word optional. So, you know, um, offer of compensation is, is optional, zero versus a dollar. That it, that it doesn't change anything, the industry moves forward, and, and that's that. Do you think that's where we end up? So that it's, no. it's, it's all that? Or do you think that an offer of compensation is coming to an end in the MLS? I think it's the latter. I think, I, again, this goes to 
observing the DOJ, knowing what the consumer advocates are calling for, their major complaint is steering. It's the concept that buyer agents are doing something that's that's financially benefit for the buyer's agent to the detriment of the buyer. And no tweaking the MLS rule on compensation relieves that problem other than just removing it completely from the MLS. And this is where I'm going to tell you, and it's no big deal. Deals yeah. get done, including first-time homeowners, including FHA, including VA. Deals will get done all day long with no comp in the MLS. Okay, so let's do this because we have a certain amount of time and you're a lawyer and you guys talk too long and it gets long. Yeah. Go ahead, Keith, yeah. follow up. But I just want okay. to set, we have some questions I want to get yeah. through and I want to make sure we get them out. So. so NAR settles. What will that mean to an agent who, with, with regard to dues or like, it's going to be a big settlement. It's not going to be a little number. What's that going to mean to a licensee who's listening to this, who is a member of NAR? So it all depends on the numbers. Remember the claim. And this is why I think we're going to have a little bit of the, of the trial you're going to see. You're, next week, you're going to see the claim be made. And you're going to see the evidence that the plaintiffs have of what, you know. How much they're, money they're looking they're for. What's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. Um, remember, if the plaintiff's claim is has some validity to it, that money is in the hands of individual agents. It's not mm -hmm. in the hands of NAR. It's not in the hands of the corporate guys, right? It's in individual agents' hands. So fairness should dictate that the individual agent should participate at some level in resolving the claim to disgorge them of their alleged benefit, right? So mm -hmm. I think the easy answer to that, Keith, would be some kind of you know special assessment or something to help fund you know, over maybe a three-year period, you know, to, to help raise the funds to resolve the case and let everyone move forward. I have a follow-up question. Sorry, because you just prompted it. Is that only if you're an NER member? Right, let me, let, me, let me rephrase the question. If you're not an NER member, are you covered by the settlement? Or if you're only an NER member, you're covered by the settlement? I think that's an important one, isn't it? Or am I off? And it depends on how they structure the settlement. Mm -hmm. So you could structure the settlement in a way where... NAR asks the MLSs to contribute. And in that way, you would pick up non-NAR members. That's that's one functional way to do it. Um, I think predominantly, though, you'd be talking about NAR members and those involved in the association world, you know, coughing up the money. So then that begs the question, right? Do some people leave? Probably. Um, but know, does, so does that open them up to... Yeah. That then makes them not part of the settlement. That then opens them up to potentially further litigation. Is that a correct statement? Right. Uh, it, it again depends on how the settlement is structured and and when those events occur. Right. Uh, Arguably, they mm -hmm. were real torn members when the events occurred. Right. So that that'll be that is wording of of a settlement agreement. <laughs> okay. Okay. Back so, on the just real quick on the on the the piece that you mentioned where. You know, basically a special assessment will be assessed. Let's hypothetical. We're making up numbers, right. but let's say it's 500 a year for three years, 1500 bucks per member, right? Just to make something up. Uh, my guess is social media being what it is, you will hear howling and screaming about the unfairness and NARS failed us to get blah, 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 right? All of that stuff. Right. Yep. In, in my opinion, unless you can counsel me otherwise, uh, to me, if someone said for 
500 bucks a year for three years. This is all behind you. Go forth and sell houses, young man. I, I would stroke those checks all day long. Like real agents. My- yeah. Real agents doing real deals will cut the check and move on. Yeah. The guys who struggle to get one deal done every 10 months, right. They may have to do some soul searching of maybe they need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, so you're going to see a drop in membership, but I think you're going to see a drop in membership anyway. Right. Um, I'm not sure that's a bad thing. I'm what, what percentage? What are you thinking over I mean, the next? We're pushing 20... the, just the head, pick stuff out of the hat. Yeah. I, I, I don't see, well, we all have I, a I number. assume you'd lose 20%. That's James. But based upon the suits or the market in general, or I, I think a little bit of mixture of both. Okay. I, I think um, they're interrelated, right? Does the broker mandate the agents pay these fees to limit liability for them at all? Is there any liability there if they, if they have agents that are not part of the settlement? Uh, that's a good question. You know, it probably depends on the size of your firm. I got one. You and, did. And, you did. You know, I hadn't thought about that one before, but it probably depends on the size of the firm. Um, Be smart though, right? You know, like, look, if you want to work here, you're yeah. I, I mean, you're broker, covering yourself and me. Yeah. You tell me. You you guys, you know are involved in running brokerage firms. How much does the broker make versus the agent? You know, maybe Shit, you apply yeah. the split. <laughs> yeah. Apply the split. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Cause we've, we've got only like 10 minutes left here. Um, there's two important questions. Uh, and I, you're, you are very perfectly aligned to answer this. What does the role of the MLS look like in this post lawsuit world in your view? I don't think it looks any different. Okay. Right. Um, I know when I look at the 140 staff members of CRMLS, the the MLS is about cooperation. That's Mm -hmm. what we are. We're not, Art Carter says it best. We're not a technology company and an MLS is not an advertising platform. We are a broker cooperative. We stand in the middle of the marketplace and transaction to make sure that everything is level and fair for both sides. That's why when there's any rule, Somebody hates it. Either the listing side hates it or the buying side hates it. And the other side loves it. And that's, that's fine. That's what we do. None of that goes away because compensation leaves. And when I think about our staff's time, 90%, 99% of the time, we're dealing with issues of cooperation. And we almost never deal with anything about comp and compensation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. what the MLS does is important. It's critical. Uh, it needs to continue to move forward in the way it is. We need to up our technology game, our data distribution game, but the MLS is totally fine without compensation. Do you think there's consolidation? Yes. Cause I think there might be, uh, and there needs to be consolidation, frankly. Yeah. But like what number are we, are we talking getting it from 400 down to 200? Like you think that's going to occur with this smaller ones? I'm assuming. I don't know. Maybe. Mm -hmm. What about, so here's the big one. Uh, what about associations? None of, the, none of the other ones have been big. No, this is actually like the one that everyone's talking about now. Yeah, so yeah. we're, you know, I, I've been leading counselor to a, a question, um, associations and specifically NER. What, what does this all look like? Every, some people are saying I'm out like, you know, the headlines, you know, another one left NER. I'm like, no, you idiots. Like half these franchises don't even require you to be a member of NER. You just didn't read the damn agreement. And obviously the plaintiff's right. lawyers didn't either. So like what, what's your take on this? I think NAR still has an important role to play. The, the question is going to become what role do they play in the MLS world? Right. Okay. And so I do think that NAR survives all of this, uh, it, it, even to the extent that the MLSs have some reliance. 
the fact that there are mandatory rules and, and rules that govern large swaths of MLSs are a good thing, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise you'd end up with a race to the bottom. Like yeah. I said, we're a broker cooperative. So we have to stand in the middle. And that means putting in some rules that the listing agents don't like to make it fair for the buyer agent. If there's no NAR, there's no mandatory MLS rules. What you're going to have is MLSs who will tweak the rules to completely favor the listing side. To drive listings into the system. And they basically turn themselves into an advertising platform or some fancy Craigslist version. And that that is bad. It's bad for the consumer. It's bad for the agents. Right. So I do think that there should still be some some role for NAR and some kind of mandatory rulemaking component uh, that remains. Not to so, mention just the lobbying side. Like, yeah, that's my question. So does NAR stay NAR or does NAR turn into the Mortgage Bankers Association? Right. I think I think NAR stays as NAR. I think they resolve it. They survive the, the monetary hit and and they chug forward. You think associations are going to have consolidation too? Like end yeah. up be more like just larger association, like 50 statewide and then a national? Is that? I don't think, I don't think that. Way. I think there's too much. There's still going to be some local. You, you need some local, right? I, at the local level, I, I chaired the local political action committee. So I knew the... the, the uh, I wasn't advocating this to be clear. Yeah, yeah, I was just asking. just asking. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. still a very important role for the locals. Very yeah. important. When just so much institutional, I don't know, belief that my market's different, right? <laughs> so that even that's hard not. to, right. even if it isn't as different as they think right. it is, right. uh, there's still a lot of gravity in that direction. All right, let's put a bow on this. I know we're over, but I, I this has to happen. Yeah. Ed, what does it look like for an agent? Keith, I'm sort of stealing your question. Yeah, I'm just, cool. but, but it's all yeah, like kind thing. of intertwined. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it look like for an agent post lawsuit world? So like the seller's agent sitting down with the seller and having what conversation, the buyer's agent sitting down with the buyer and having what conversation and how do everybody get paid? Okay. And so like, here's, here's and the- by the way, I'm not paying you for this time. So just make oh. it in like three minutes. So. <laughs> sure. um, listing side. When you go do a listing presentation, the forms will change. And I'm assuming here a world with no comp at all in the MLS. Yes. So the forms change. All the all the forms on the listing agreements about compensation get pulled out, get replaced with some kind of advisory telling the seller, right, that this agreement is only between you and your agent, the listing agent, that's all who's getting paid, but be advised, the buyer may have an agent. And the buyer may ask you the seller to contribute to all or some of the payment of the buyer's fees. And the conversation you need to have with the list on the listing side is if you're dealing with someone who's selling a condo, an entry-level home, a first-time move-up, you need to prep them that you're going to end up paying for the buyer's agent as part of the deal. By the way, just like they do today, mm-hmm. right? There's no difference in how that works today. If you're doing with luxury properties, right? Hey, th- those guys are buying a three, $4 million house. They can cut their own check. Don't worry about it. In the middle range, it'll be probably 50-50. On the buy side, right? You must, and this is a must, do buyer representation agreements before you ever show a property. And you better have some very good way to sell your value proposition and why they need to use you as a buyer's agent and the value that you bring to that element. 
right? Mm -hmm. and, and to that representation, just like everybody has slick, coached up, high technology driven listing presentations and nothing on the buyer side. Okay. Right? That buy side has to, has to have Level that same up. attention to it. And then the transaction is simply, I get paid as a buyer's agent by my buyer. And when I go make my offer, the forms will change where there'll be one paragraph added on, on commission. And the offer will include a request for the seller to pay some portion or all of my buy side commission. This is what happens in commercial. There's no MLS in commercial. I've closed 200 plus transactions in commercial and always got paid mostly by the seller in a transaction by doing it that way. So this is not new. It's not unique. It's very easy to do once you've been trained up and you mm -hmm. do it a couple of times. And yeah, if the other... seller won't pay it, then. Right. The seller pays it now. I don't understand all the freak out that, you know, this crazy talk. Oh, there'll be no buyer agency and, and no one will ever have a buyer's agent. That's, that's crazy talk. Of course they will. Of course yeah. they will. Yeah. The other piece, in addition, like you're saying, leveling up your buyer consultation is going to be hypercritical. Right. The other piece we've talked a fair amount about is there's going to be another piece in the transaction where a lot of negotiation will happen. So it is time to level up your negotiation skills. And historically, the industry, we, we think of ourselves as a service business, not and so not necessarily a sales business. So we can often shy away from negotiation type conversations. It's going to be time to lean into developing that skill. It is. And it's the same skills that you'll use if you have a particular buyer who needs some closing costs. Mm -hmm. get the deal mm -hmm. done. It, yep. it, it is just going to be like that. It's the yep. same skill, the same conversation. It's just a different number. You think NAR gets the, uh, I keep saying NAR and it pisses everybody off. Who's there? NAR is going to um, get Fannie and Freddie to make changes so that you can finance the commission and loan. I do. I, I think that would be a good move because it does free up another the, option the conversation. So you, so if you do have a seller who doesn't understand it or something, right. And if the government wants it to work this way, then the government needs to step up and actually do something to help that transaction go. So a simple rule that Fannie or Freddie will loan based on 103% or 105% of the value. And here, here's what I'd, I'd say, right. To closing costs, all closing costs. So you leave inside the incentive mm -hmm. to negotiate a lower buy, you know, buy side commission and be able to use the balance of that for other closing costs, right? That could help get more deals done. So that's an incentive for Fannie and Freddie to step it up and and write the two or three sentences it takes to make this happen. You know, hard. you made a you made a comment to me once that really stuck. This is months and months ago. You also made this comment. You're like, I don't want the seller's agent to dictate what I get paid. Yeah, no, I don't. Like, I love that comment because you're. It's not that you couldn't put a buyer you know, representation agreement in place to to make those changes anyway, but you're you're controlling the conversation up front about what your value is, what you do, et cetera, versus somebody else dictating things on the other side, which I think was an interesting comment. So well, especially when you're a 30-year lawyer, 20-year realtor, why am I getting paid the same as the guy who who got his license last week? Great comment. Mm -hmm. Great comment. All right, Ed, uh, we have to go. Man, this was awesome. Yep. Thank you for giving us the breakdown. Um just full disclosure, and if I need to buy art dinner or whatever, I'm fine. But as these suits <laughs> continue to play out, we're likely going to have you back to kind of give us some updates on things. Um, but genuinely, thank you for being here. Yeah, uh, Really insightful as always. And I love, I hope everybody who's listening or watching this 
you just listen to the last part about all this. This isn't that big of a thing. Like we're going to have changes, but we're not going away. So everybody yeah. calm the four letter F word down and just like, <laughs> you know, yeah, everybody chill out a little bit. So, well, I think thanks for the opportunity to let me uh, share my opinions. They may not be worth much or may not pan out, but thanks for the opportunity. You've been to right so far. So yeah. thanks. Sir. All right, my friend. Thanks. Appreciate you. You guys take care. It's our job to say out loud what everybody's only thinking to themselves. It's your job to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode.